Well, James, I have made sure that I am using the proper recording equipment this time. <laughs> That's good. I'm sure our listeners will, will be very glad. Glad to hear that. <laughs> our our topic is about writing this time, but I thought maybe we should do a topic sometime about like audio or audio recording or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, many apologies to our listeners, but this one should uh, be back to the good old days. Yeah, that would be great. Before getting into our main topic about writing, which just as an aside, feels like a bit of a strange thing to do to be mixing the mediums. We're talking about <laughs> writing in an, in an audio medium. Maybe next time we can talk about photography, <laughs> video editing. Or, or, we, or we can write uh, an article on our blog about podcasting. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That would be a bit more meta. Before we get in there, am I allowed to open the the science tab in our notes? If you want to, I'll let your conscience be your guide in this case. <laughs> okay, what are we talking about this time? Well, it was a couple episodes ago, and I can't remember if it was in the main podcast or in our patron podcast, but you mentioned butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you used it in the correct way, and mm. I was curious, if you didn't use it in the correct way, I was wondering if you even know what it means, so... What does the butterfly effect mean? Well, I'm not sure if I can explain it very well off the top of my head, but this is what I have in, in my head is that there's this idea that every everything affects everything else in the universe. And so the flapping of the wings of a butterfly can affect uh, say the wind currents or whatever that could mm -hmm. ultimately lead to huge effects on the other side of the world or in the universe or whatever. If, mm -hmm. um, if that had never happened, um, it couldn't have, but because it did happen, we can't tell where it might go, but it can affect the huge things down the road. That's the idea that I have in my head. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're actually right. Um, okay. I, can't I don't remember, remember how I used it. <laughs> I don't remember exactly either, but I remember it was kind of a strange, like I don't think I would have used it. That's not the, the term I would have used in that context. But yeah, you're basically right. Just a little bit of background to what the butterfly effect is. So most people probably know that in science, they're, one of the things that scientists do is they try to predict. So they use their models and their scientific laws to predict the behavior of things. And one of the classic things is like the movement of the planets. They can be predicted to a pretty high, high degree of precision out to decades or even hundreds of years, mm -hmm. which is why we can we can predict when there are going to be eclipses, uh, both lunar eclipses, solar eclipses. Which, by the way, there was a lunar eclipse last week. Yeah, I believe. Um, I did not get up and see it. I've seen lunar eclipses before, and it was raining when I went to sleep, and it was happening at I forget when it was, like 1 a.m. or something. Okay. So I decided to uh, to let you take care of looking at that for me. <laughs> yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, your uh, your skills of photography are about as good as your skills at at running audio equipment. And so <laughs> I think it was my equipment, my equipment <laughs> rather than my skills in this case. <laughs> yeah, probably so. But you can predict it really well. But then in the last half of the 19th century like in the 50s and 60s and 70s, scientists started realizing that there are some things that are not, you, you can't really predict. 
and this this whole this whole um area of I guess it would be mathematics and different study called chaos theory kind of arose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where they're studying these things that are really hard to predict and I guess trying to figure out if there's some way we can predict them uh predict or at least better understand how they work so even though we can't predict them precisely we can at least understand them a little bit and one of the main people for that was um was Edward Norton Lorenz he he was one of the first people that was working with with chaos theory and he kind of had a kind of a metaphor saying that a butterfly flapping its wings could then cause changes in a tornado okay yeah it could you know could affect the path of a tornado and its strength and so forth because you can have really small changes that's that's really what the butterfly effect is is you can have extremely small changes in the initial conditions of of an area and that can then kind of almost like a domino effect in a sense not just a domino effect but it, it will expand to mm-hmm. where a small change can have a huge change at the end and that's a pretty big thing in in predicting the weather so uh, they use these uh, predicting the weather has gotten much much better since the 1950s and 60s and i think a reasonable amount of that increase is well partially due to computers we can run simulations but also understanding chaos theory is uh, is part of it as well you can actually observe chaos theory by blowing out a candle okay so if you blow out a candle if you look at the smoke which that's not it's actually uh, unburned wax mm-hmm. <laughs> that's going up but if you look at the smoke that's going up it goes up in a very smooth stream for the first inch or so and then it just goes to pieces and just goes all over the place mm-hmm. um that is in a sense like you cannot predict where this particular smoke particle is going to go is it going to go to the left or the right or to the front or to the back and so what they do is they use probabilities and different things to somewhat predict but that's the butterfly effect somewhat in a nutshell okay yeah, well, I apologize for having used it wrong, but I have no memory of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you you know what it means, so maybe you used it correctly and I was wrong. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Yay, my first time being right about a sciencey thing. <laughs> no, it's not that's I think there was another time you were right. Okay. So you know, chalk this up as the second. All right. <laughs> There's a story. So I think one of the first times I ever really experienced or read about the butterfly effect. There's a short story called A Sound of Thunder, which is by Ray Bradbury. He's a science fiction writer. This is just a short story, and it 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 talks about these people that travel into the past to shoot dinosaurs, <laughs> kind of the kind of these big game expeditions. But they are supposed to be very very careful when they go back because if they change the way something happens, then it could possibly affect the present. And this guy goes back to shoot a dinosaur and comes back to the present and things have changed. And that's a little bit of the the butterfly effect there. So, okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a fairly short story. Obviously it's, it's quite, (laughs) quite out there. Um, I enjoy science fiction. I know some people don't particularly enjoy it, but yeah, I would recommend a sound of thunder if you want to have kind of a story version explaining uh, the butterfly effect. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I have read that one. If not, I have read other science fiction with the same trope. Mm-hmm. Speaking of tropes and reading and fiction, we're getting into our, our topic now. You are 
a a famous published author so i guess it's this <laughs> time that we have the <laughs> have this topic yeah we both you and i both enjoy writing i once was in a writer's workshop where the speaker said that good readers make good writers and i know that you and i both enjoy reading quite a lot mm-hmm. so do you think that that has anything to do with our enjoyment of writing do you think that that speaker was correct like it, it this is the butterfly effect of reading <laughs> maybe not the butterfly effect but just a knock-on effect of of reading lots of good things yeah i'm guessing that there's definitely that there's certainly some sort of a connection there i mean if you if you read something and you really enjoy it a lot of times you yeah you would like to try your hand at, at writing something yourself or you understand the power of writing the power of, of the written word and so you want to uh to maybe share that with somebody else so before we got into recording this morning i was reading a book by stephen king on writing while i was waiting i didn't get super far into it it's one of those books that you can't really recommend because there's some language in it and whatever but stephen king is a very popular uh successful mm-hmm. writer uh in our generation I'm not sure that I've really read any of his books. The type of books that he writes are not books that I would really enjoy reading. He kind of reads, writes <laughs> yeah. more horror books. Yeah, I read that same book a while back. Somebody recommended it to me, and I read it, and I very much enjoyed it. He says in, in that book that writers, he used to think when he was a young writer that anyone could be a writer, and all they have to do is practice just like anyone could play the piano as long as they put in enough hours of piano practice. But he has now in, in his older years, he's not super old, but he has come to the conclusion that writers are are born, that it's something that's in them that just wants to come out. I think maybe he's tried to help other people who weren't really writers to become writers and has figured out that no, if if the if the spark isn't there, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. You've taught school and have taught some in literature. I'm not sure how much you got into writing, mm-hmm. but would you have noticed that in your students that it seems like some of them just really can take off with writing, and and maybe others not so much? Or how was that? Yeah, that was very much the case. Some of the yeah, some of the students. They didn't enjoy it, and they didn't do very well at it. And then I had others who loved to write and would write really, really good papers about different topics. And there was a pretty strong correlation between those who enjoyed writing and those who read a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a very mm-hmm. strong, strong correlation there. And I'm not sure what the what it is, if if reading makes you want to write, or some people are just more inclined to toward toward reading and writing um they just enjoy words and language and communication mm-hmm. and because of that they they then enjoy writing as well i mean they 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 enjoy these books and so hey i'd like to to see what i can do as far as writing mm-hmm. yeah which is the chicken and which is the egg mm-hmm. i remember another writing workshop that i was in and i think it was under um becky mcguran she 
said, if I remember correctly, this idea about, she used to hold this idea that imaginative people made good writers. And so the more imaginative you were, then that was, you know, you were more likely to be a writer Mm -hmm. until she bumped into someone who was kind of your, your dry sciencey sort of writer (laughs) or like writing about things that weren't fiction, Mm nonfiction things. I don't remember what his subject passion was. And he wrote for a very different reason than, than what motivated Becky. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of threw her whole uh, theory of what makes a writer out the window. But it brings me to the question about why, why do you write? What is it that motivates you? You and I are very different people Mm -hmm. and we both enjoy writing, but what is it that, that pushes you to write? I think if I go back to when I was in maybe high school and I didn't do a lot of writing back then, but I I think there was a little bit of a spark there. I did enjoy reading. I think part of it was trying to communicate ideas that I had, trying to, you know, sometimes our thinking can be very fuzzy, like we have an idea or we have an opinion, but when you really sit down and start thinking through it or, or you try to explain it to somebody else, you find that it's not quite as well formed as you think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to you, it's like, oh, yeah, this just makes total sense. But then you try to explain it to somebody else and you realize, uh, maybe I didn't have quite as good of a grasp of this as I thought I did. So I think part of the reason that I enjoy writing is it helps me kind of think through what I believe, the opinions that I hold. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll be in, in Sunday school or I'll be in a sermon. I'll be listening to a sermon and... I will hear something or I'll have what I think might be an insight. And usually I try to keep uh, a pen with me and I jot down a little note and then I'll maybe see that again. And if it's, it's something then I'll try to turn it into an essay or an article and see if, see if I actually see if there's actually something there or not. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the reason why I would say that I enjoy writing. This is a good skill or a good practice to have even about uh, communicating. Uh, Say, for example, I remember one time when I was still in my 20s and something had happened at my job and I was frustrated with a coworker and I had some ideas about what I wanted to tell them and in what way. (laughs) (laughs) And I... I remember going down the hall to talk to another coworker who was an older fellow just to get his advice on was I seeing this clearly or not. I'm of the impression that the other fellow actually agreed with me somewhat, but his advice to me was go write that person an email, but don't put their name in the subject line. Just write the email about the way you feel about it and then close the email and don't look at it for three days and then go back and edit your email. And he said, then come back and talk to me. (laughs) So that's what I did. And I ended up never sending that email. And even after I had edited it and never had, I don't think I ever had that conversation with my coworker, but what it did was it just like you said, it forced me to think, what is the thing that we're discussing? And, 
by writing it out, I soon realized, well, maybe I was actually frustrated about another, an entire other aspect of this conversation or interaction that didn't have to do with uh, <laughs> the item in focus, but it was maybe something to do with scheduling or whatnot. And after waiting three days, going back and editing it and hearing my voice uh, from the editor's perspective, I realized, oh, uh, this email probably shouldn't go out and it just went into the trash. So a, a similar a similar practice, but maybe for a completely different uh, medium or outcome. Yeah, that, that definitely echoes kind of what I was saying as far as, yeah, it, it just helps to to sharpen or to solidify your thinking. And when I was thinking about this particular point about why I write, I had to think about a, a paragraph or so in the book, Seven Laws of Teaching by Milton Gregory. Have you, have you read that book? Yes, it's been a while, but I have. It's kind of a classic in, in teaching and it was written, I think the early 1900s. So it's, it's pretty old. It's maybe even getting close to a hundred years old mm-hmm. and you can tell <laughs> That it was written a hundred years ago, and s- sometimes I have to roll my eyes a little bit at the way that it's written. But I guess maybe part of that is just saying how I don't know, in a sense, dumbed down our language has become in some ways. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'm going to go ahead and read it here, and this is talking about the power of language. But language is the instrument as well as the vehicle of thought. Words are tools under the plastic touch of which the mind reduces the crude mass of its impressions into clear and valid conceptions. Ideas become incarnate in words. They take form in language and stand ready to be studied and known, to be marshaled into the mechanism of intelligible thought. Until they are thus given expression, they are like vague phantoms, indistinct and intangible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. basically what he's saying there is that you can... Language is not just something that carries an idea from one person to another. It is also what you can use to make your language more intelligible or now he says ideas become incarnate in words. They take form in language and stand ready to be studied and known. So if you write something down, your vague idea that you've had then is a lot. You can see, Oh man, that is a really, I've got a really huge gap in my reasoning there Yeah, because um, you can see your whole, your whole idea, your whole argument kind of laid out in front of you, and maybe it's not nearly as good as you thought. So that's something that's really helpful about writing. And I think uh, even though it's it's maybe wordier than I would than I would write it, I think that's that explains it really well. I don't know if this fits in here or not, but I'm curious if you have some methods to your writing, like how do you get started with your writing, mm-hmm. just to share a little bit about about me sometimes i'm given a topic to write about and and i have these tools in in my writing toolbox that are different ways of brainstorming different ways of planning and so on that are more professional or technical maybe but i have more than once i have <laughs> I don't know if I would say frequently, but it has been a number of times where I have started to write simply by typing out or long form on a paper writing, I need to write. And that's my my first line. And then I just kind of open to myself about what what the topic is. Like if I'm given a topic, then I'll say, I need to write 
this topic was given to me by so-and-so and they're asking about whatever. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it just seems like, uh, especially if I'm typing my, my fingers and my thoughts just flow. Mm-hmm. And so I did do a bit of a stream of consciousness to get into my writing. Um, that's, that's something that I have used often over the years. What What are some of your methods? How do you get into your writing? Yeah, well, like I said, uh, I try to gather ideas and I just, I have some text files on my hard drive that I just I actually have a folder that's called ideas. And I just, sometimes I'll just jot down just the title, like either the idea or the maybe a possible title for the article or essay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if I have a bit more details, I'll kind of flesh it out in the body of the document and just jot down a few ideas and I just throw it into the folder. And a lot of times I just forget about it until I want to write something or until that, that idea keeps coming up in my mind. Yeah. And then I go back in there and pull it up and I try to set aside some time in the morning usually and sit down and not always, but a lot of times I will write just kind of a bulleted point list of ideas to kind of give maybe a little bit of a structure to the article. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I do that. But a lot of times I would say I just kind of sit down and start writing and the structure, it's not maybe quite stream of consciousness like you're saying. It's a bit, it takes me a bit longer to do it, but I'll just start writing and a lot of times the structure or the flow of ideas will just come and I'll just write it out mm-hmm. and then I'll come back to it later and, and edit it because usually it's pretty rough. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's a little bit of my process. Um, so in, in some ways similar to yours. When I write extemporaneously, like I just suggested, I, I've noticed that I tend to have a balloon effect in my writing that <laughs> takes a lot of editing later for the, for the front matter. So you have this great big head of thought at the beginning and then it tapers down to where there's not a whole lot at the end. Mm-hmm. So writing out an outline is something that I am, do a lot more now and putting several days or even weeks between the birth of an idea to the uh, birth of, of the article. But another question that comes to mind then out of this, like, how do you go about writing is, would you say writing is easy? (laughs) No, uh, it sometimes is. It depends. Most of the time it's not. Sometimes it is a very much of a struggle. I think, yeah, people that have either read my book or that know me know that it was about 10 years. Yeah. Just under 10 years from when I did my bike trip to when I finished my book. And, and part of the reason was that I did not have a structured method of writing. I just, whenever, whenever I was inspired, I would sit down and write. And so sometimes it would be six to nine months between times that I would write a chapter. Well, it's going to take you a while to write something if that's what you do. Right. And, and so when you sit down and write like that, then it's fun and it's very easy a lot of times. But I found that you can you can produce a lot more and I wouldn't say it's any worse really if you are more disciplined and just decide I'm going to write here you know I'm going to write this morning whether I want to or not and it is I mean there have been different different books and articles that I've read that just talks about how much of a struggle it is to write and it's just agonizing 
And sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes you do have to just sit there <laughs> and, and look at your blinking cursor for 10 minutes almost and before you can come up <laughs> yep. with something. But something that I recently read an article about was was different approaches to writing. There's something that's called the printer method and the pixel method. And I don't think I ever shared that article with you. I don't think yeah. so. So uh, the printer method is where like like something comes out of the printer and when it comes out, it's perfectly printed on the one side. And as it comes out, it, it continues to print kind of like, I don't have an inkjet printer anymore, but any, uh, but anybody that's ever seen an inkjet printer, it, it prints the first, first part of the page and shoots it out and then prints the next part. And then it kind of comes out as it's printed and it's printed one time and it's done. The pixel method is where you kind of start out and it's very rough. It's very, almost like a picture that's pixelated and then it goes through again and it gets a bit more defined a bit better okay. and then maybe okay. another time or two so what oftentimes what i find easier is like if you try to sit down and write a perfect paper sentence by sentence it is going to be agonizing but if you sit down kind of like you mentioned and just spew uh word vomit yeah. onto the page <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it's going to be pretty horrible but you can get your ideas there, and at least you can start getting a hold of them a little bit better. Then you can go back. You can edit. You might have to just completely cut out hundreds of words that you wrote. Right, right. But it can get better and better as you continue to refine. And one thing that I find very helpful, and it's part of the reason why I write as well, is that if you write, it's, it's you know going back to Milton Gregory about the power of language, if you put something down in words it solidifies it you can then send it to somebody else and they can then look at what you wrote and say well this is a good point here this is pretty poor either this is poorly written or i don't really think you have a lot of a good argument for this particular point and it kind of helps helps you share your ideas with others and they can likely find some hole in your argument that you didn't see yourself so I think that's another reason to write is to to help find holes in your thinking. You you've shared that or you've mentioned a couple of times now this idea of uh, presenting an argument or a truth. Mm -hmm. Is that more what your writing tends to be is maybe somewhat convincing your audience of a point of view is is that where you tend to find your opportunities for writing? Um oftentimes that's kind of where my mind goes. I would say, or it tries to maybe not try to convince them about something, but more just try to open their eyes to something. Mm -hmm. I've, I've written quite a few articles on technology and its effect on our brains, on our spiritual lives. It's more just, it's not like I'm trying to convince them the technology is bad. It's more, I want them to open their eyes and realize, oh, you know, I didn't realize this effect that it was having on me. Because I've read some very helpful books that have opened my eyes to the effect of technology on, on my life. And so I kind of want to share some of what I've learned through some of those books with some others. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, if it helps one or two people, that's great. It will have achieved what I'm trying to do then. Mm -hmm. Most of my writing today is just by volume uh, used up in my blog which is talking about our uh not daily lives but our everyday 
lives here in Peru. And so in those in that setting, I don't think I'm really trying to convince anyone of anything. I'm just sharing about things. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think I'm trying to write in a way that is worth reading. You're still using, or I'm still trying to use writing craft, even though I'm putting out something that maybe a lot of people would consider low value. I don't know. <laughs> You've talked about what motivates you to write this this um, aspect of putting your ideas in a more solid form so you can see them better and also sharing those ideas either to to change someone's point of view or help them see something in a different way, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. One reason that I write is just the cathartic aspect of writing. I don't know if you do <laughs> any of this, James, or not, but if I don't write, I get a little bit, um, hmm, I don't know, a little bit batty. Um, it's a good way for me just to deal with with all the ideas that are going around in my head about life. And so I do journal and that helps some. No, it, it helps a good bit. But when I say writing is cathartic, I can be writing about something that's completely unrelated to what I'm going through mm -hmm. in my day. But it's just like a de-stressor. Yeah. Um, writing, writing the blog does that. Writing a more intense article does that. Um, I write out my sermons every week, so I get some some of the same effect there. But occasionally, I will just sit down and write on a piece of a scrap paper a nonsense fantasy story, just <laughs> stream of consciousness as it comes to me, and those things get thrown away. But it's just, a, I guess it's like what a lot of people do when they go fishing. It's just a way of letting go of mm -hmm. stress maybe i mean yeah i don't know i don't know exactly why you why that helps you so much but i was just thinking through that i mean our lives can oftentimes be feel a little bit out of our control mm. or it feels like we're not accomplishing much and so to be able to sit down and write something it makes us feel like maybe we're taking back control yeah. i don't know that's just <laughs> that could be that's just the first thing that came to my mind that could be do you do any of that yourself or does your writing always have a purpose? Not very often. Uh, I've had, I've done a little bit of writing that was more of a, yeah, inspired or I wouldn't really say I've done much writing that was kind of catharsis trying to get rid of stress or I wouldn't say that I've ever really done that. Usually there's some purpose behind it and I might not necessarily know what it is, but it's more like you know, I'm just going to take this and stick it in my archives and, and maybe someday it'll be useful for something. Yeah. Is sometimes what I do. Yeah. Well, speaking of the purpose behind writing, do we, do we need more writers today? More writers than you and me? <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is kind of a, a, a duh question, but when I was teaching school and trying to give the idea to my students that we needed writers, I think they always felt like, no, there was plenty of writing already in the world. Well, you're talking about us being writers. In some ways, I don't, I still don't really feel like I'm a writer. 
Like if people ask me what I do or who I am, I don't think that is necessarily the thing that's going to come bubbling to the top. (laughs) I would say another reason, this is kind of going back a little bit, but another reason why I write is because I feel like I have, there's a lot of improvement that I can do. Well, you know, one of the best ways to improve is simply to to practice, Mm -hmm. you know, going back even further to where, you know, what what makes somebody a writer? So we talked about Stephen King's ideas and Becky McGurn's ideas about what makes a writer. I think that likely more people could write than what think they can, if that makes sense. Uh, So it's I guess I'm very much of the thinking that if you practice Quite likely, most people will never become really, really good writers. That there maybe there is that little extra spark or desire that's needed to really turn somebody from kind of okay or mediocre into really good. But I think most people can go from poor to good if you if you practice. So I hear people say, I remember some of my students will say, "Well, I'm not a writer. I, you know, I can't write." I was like, "Well, yeah, you can't now because you don't even try." <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That if that if you would if you would apply yourself, you could do much more. You, you know, you're much more capable than you currently think you are, and so that's part of the reason why I write is not because I think I'm a good writer, but because I think I'm a poor writer. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, that's a good perspective. Um, but yeah, as far as needing more writers, I think we definitely do. I think that things have been written in the past, and those things are useful, but. And this is something that you've mentioned to me before when we were kind of preparing for this podcast is that each generation has its own its own struggles, its own, its own unique challenges. And to have people writing from that perspective, I think it's going to feel much more relatable and much more useful to those uh, people in the same generation mm-hmm. versus, you know, re- you know, reading something from the 1700s. I mean, there's some if it's if it's survived from the 1700s till now there's likely some some enduring truth there but but a lot of times it doesn't feel very applicable to our time and place and so i feel like i think more writers is important and one thing as so i work for a publisher christian light and i would say it's not like we have too many writers writing books for christian light usually we need more writers and not just more writers, not just quantity, but we need better quality. We don't tend to have maybe the best the best writers in our communities, at least that's been my experience. At the beginning of this episode, you said something about our language being dumbed down today. Mm-hmm. And that's a debate uh, in in the linguistic community and in literary circles about is the language of 2022 and the brains behind the language of 2022 <laughs> so much uh, dumber or or more shallow or whatever than the early 1900s or the 1800s or whatever where they were a lot more wordy they did use bigger words they people in in some of those eras they may have in in our heritage would have spoken English but also may have learned French and Latin or uh, learned Greek or learned Hebrew growing up and so that affected the way they thought and the way that they wrote. Uh, we're barely learning English today by and large in our cultures. So there is this aspect of 
where literary people that are a bit snobby say, yeah, everything is dumbed down now and we should be writing better. You you talked about just a little bit ago, quality writing. There's this aspect of, of writing really deep literature or deep articles, deep thoughts. But I think what is the purpose of writing? And that's communication, right? Mm-hmm. So we're trying to get an idea across to our audience. And so if we know that our audience has the attention span that is less than that of a goldfish, <laughs> should we be writing uh, the same way that Milton Gregory did? Or should we be writing in a way that connects to the reader? And so I think that's part of why I feel we need writers today is because the the readers and the listeners, the the consumers of today are different than who they were 50 years ago, mm-hmm. 100 years ago, whatever. I think so. And yeah, that whole debate about dumbing down of language, I mean, I definitely would would say that, that language in a sense has been, you know, we don't use we don't use as many words as we used to. Our vocabularies aren't as rich, and it is harder for us to read longer sentences than than we than we did years ago. And it's not like the advent of smartphones is where this started. I think this started even before then. We're just, I think, maybe in some ways, digital technology and the internet kind of accelerated it a bit. But I don't think, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not quite ready to throw up my hands and say I'm ready to just give in to the language degradation (laughs) Mm -hmm. or the way it's changing. But at the same time, you also can't stand in front of a tsunami and expect to really change it too much. I'm not sure how much we should uh, we should change the way we write to the language or how much we should just accept it. But I definitely think we need to. Yeah, I mean, the purpose of writing is to communicate. And so I can write an amazing article that has a perfectly logical explanation for something but if it's written in a way that is hard for people to understand, then it hasn't accomplished what it set out to do. And so it's not a good article in that sense. Yeah. So that's something uh, something you have to keep in mind is, you know, who are you writing for? How is the best way to get to them to where they'll actually take the time to read it? In my growing up years, I would come across articles that were written very clearly for like the young people of our communities, it may even said it right in the title, <laughs> <laughs> but it was written in such a way that I knew that over 80% of young people picking up this article were going to lay it down after the first or second paragraph. And so there is this battle that writers have of, of trying to write in such a worthy way or quality way that they can feel good about what they've written afterward. Mm-hmm. But then exactly what you said, who are you writing for? And if it never gets to them, uh, what's the point? I agree completely that we need a, a fresh view on ancient things or old things or or ideas that, that the church or society has wrestled with for for many generations. Because while there's nothing new under the sun, what we're going through has never been experienced, not in exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. There are current issues that we're facing that the church has never faced. So there's that aspect to it, whether it's um, some of our 
cultural norms that are um, coming into society that have never been quite this way in history. There are, yeah, like I said, there's nothing new under the sun, but it's just not the same as what, exactly the same as as what we're experiencing. But then we have technological advancement, especially in the digital space, and how does the church or how does society relate to those things? Mm-hmm. So we need people to be thinking about this, writing about it, presenting ideas to the community, to the world at large, to begin to open some conversation or or even debate around some of these things to get the rest of the community moving in, in their own thoughts and ideas about how to respond to some of these things. Yeah. And oftentimes, I mean, in, in history, we have we have taken a lot of ideas from uh, from other um, faith traditions that's, uh, that are around us in our culture, so, you know, specifically Protestants. They have, they're very, Protestants tend to be much more academic than Anabaptists. I don't know that that's necessarily, I would, yeah, I would say that's not necessarily all a good thing. There's some dangers there. You know, partially for that reason, they they do a lot of writing. They produce a lot of writing. Also, there's a lot more Protestants than there are Anabaptists, so that uh, <laughs> would probably affect things as well. And so, sure. if we have, if we want to research on counseling or how to deal with technology, a lot of times we go to books that are written by Protestants, and a lot of times there are some really good things there, but sometimes there are some things, different uh, aspects of theology and practice that we would not agree with, it's it's easy for those things to kind of leak into to our belief as well. Yeah. So I think that's a that's a reason why our people, Anabaptists, should be should be producing writers and writing about different issues that we're facing, not just letting the Protestants take care of it, because Protestants look at things differently than we do and there's some reasons why I think we need to be writing about some of these issues and not just relying on somebody else to do the writing and, and thinking for us. Sure, sure. We are saying to our our listening audience that they should become a writing audience also, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe they have never written or they've written very little or they've only written for themselves. Mm-hmm. So what would you tell them? What should they do if they want to... I don't know if you would say learn how to write or if they want to improve where they are or mm-hmm. or be influential or make a difference with the writing that they do. I would say probably the best thing you can do is just start writing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just that simple. It's not any special method to it necessarily. Just like I said, maybe gather ideas. You can have a, a notebook or something mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you can have a document in on your computer and just gather ideas for articles that maybe are sparked by a book you read or something you heard in a sermon. Or like I said, maybe you're discussing something in Sunday school and like, oh man, that that's interesting. Uh, maybe that could be turned into an essay or an article. Just start gathering ideas. And then I would say find time to write or make time rather. I enjoy writing early in the morning. That's the best time for me because once the day gets going, usually it's taking care of my family and working and doing things in the evening with my family. And then it, I'm tired and it's time for bed. <laughs> so the best time for me is in the morning. And I would say you need to schedule it and do it diligently. That's the first step. 
well, actually, maybe the second step. First step, gather your ideas. Second step, actually write and schedule time for writing. Then I would say the third one is get feedback on your writing. And this is the scariest part (laughs) because we're all don't want feedback because we're worried somebody's going to tell us we're not very good. (laughs) That's something you kind of have to work through. And I've found for myself, the first couple of times that I got feedback on my writing, I was defensive and I wouldn't say it was soul crushing, (laughs) but it was, it was definitely kind of, it didn't feel very good. Sure. Because when you're writing, it feels like you're putting some of your heart and soul into what you're doing. Exactly. And somebody comes along with a red pen and just rips it to pieces, and it feels like they're basically like yanking out your heart, throwing it on the ground, yeah. and stomping yeah. on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's really one of the best ways to improve is to have somebody, and I'm not sure who can do it. I mean, find somebody that you know in your community, if possible, that you trust, that you know does a lot of reading and writing, and write something out. Um and give it to them and say, hey, what do you think? Can you can you give me some feedback on how I can improve the way that I'm structuring this? Uh, different feedback on the, uh, those different things. And you can see how they edit it. And then you can start, you know, once you see how somebody edits a certain issue in writing, you can then start seeing it yourself when you write and you're editing your own writing. Sure. That's probably the next step. And... Maybe as part of this, if you can if you can join or maybe form a writer's group, mm-hmm. that would be something to be valuable. Um, Sean, you and I are in a writer's group, although <laughs> am, am, am I in a writer's group? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in name only. I think you haven't submitted anything for what this year, know, six to nine yeah. months. <laughs> yeah, not this year. I'm still trying to to write for for the writing group, and so far I haven't uh, had to skip any. Any times that I was supposed to turn in an article, but I don't know. We'll see. So I think that's also very helpful. For one, it allows you to see other people's writing, and you can then edit their writing. If you edit other people's, you can then start to see some of the same things in yourself. Yeah. And then, of course, that would give you a way for other people to to, to edit and comment on your work. So I would say those, those are probably some of the main things that you can do. Just thinking about submitting your writing to someone else to edit, it it really is a good exercise in humility and we all need that. I don't know if men more than women or not, but mm-hmm. it's just like you said, when, when you put something into writing, it's part of you and giving that to someone else to hack apart can be really difficult, especially at first. But if you're, if you're willing to do it, then you can improve. And I would say if you give your writing to someone to edit and they come back and say, this is great. You're amazing. Rah. Don't trust that. Probably (laughs) find a better editor (laughs) because I I think all work can be edited. I, I, I have read, uh, well, I enjoy editing. I'm not the best editor in the world by any stretch of the imagination, Mm -hmm. but even works that are, are very good articles or, or books or whatever, I can read through and think, oh, this could have been said just a little bit differently and would be clearer. I especially get that feeling. Well, just last night I was reading a book and I went through this paragraph and I noticed that I had to read a sentence three times, I think, before I understood (laughs) exactly what the person was saying. And just 
my editor pen came out right away and said, ah, if this person would have just moved this phrase to the front, the reader could have kept right on going without pausing. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you have an editor that's just like uh, you get a, a golden star sticker every time, that's not who you want. You want someone who is willing to say, nope, this can be better in this way. And that's how you that's how you improve. Yeah, and I think another thing is, you know, many of our communities or churches have some sort of a periodical, um, either it's a monthly or or uh, bi-monthly pamphlet that goes out with articles. I would say, you know, once you've practiced a little bit where you're not completely embarrassed about what you're writing, then I would say send it to the editor of one of these periodicals and maybe even say, hey, even if you don't use it, would you be willing to maybe do a little bit of editing and send it back to me so I can see what what you did to it and maybe I can improve and, and get better? Because it's it's not, for the most part, it's not like these periodicals, they're, they have a super high bar and you have to be an amazing writer to get in and they're being super picky about articles. For the most part, it's they need stuff <laughs> and they're kind of sitting around twiddling their thumbs waiting for people to submit articles. <laughs> twiddling their thumbs are sweating, wiping <laughs> the sweat from their brows <laughs> while they wait. <laughs> exactly. And so I think there's... Yeah, if you're writing for a purpose like that, it puts a little bit... I mean, you can write for yourself and you can write well, but if you're writing for a purpose and you know that people are going to be reading it, and especially if your name is attached to it, um, it kind of... You have a bit more skin in the game and you uh, maybe take it a bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. And then there again, that's another that's another opportunity for feedback. Uh, you might get rejected. Maybe they'll say, well, it isn't quite good enough. It isn't quite what we want. Or maybe they'll say, this is a good article, but it's not really good for our audience. And that can teach you about writing for a particular audience. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, writing so you can be more understood, which is the whole purpose of writing. So yeah, I would say that's another thing you can do. And that you've mentioned a couple times about having a purpose behind your writing. And it is true that the first step just is just write, like get something out onto paper and go from there. But having a purpose, like why am I writing? Who am I writing for? Is it an article? Is it a long form? Is it a short story? You need to have some sort of focus in order to really go in a particular direction. Like you're you're not going to hit your goal unless you have one out in front of you. And so Mm-hmm. picking uh and choosing a periodical to write for or deciding I'm going to write a long form book or whatever it will definitely inform the way you go about writing mm-hmm. I would recommend don't write a long form book until you've done some of these <laughs> the smaller things yeah I was thinking the same thing I've never written a book so maybe I'm not the one to ask <laughs> we mentioned earlier that Good writers are good readers. I think reading broadly is useful in writing because you can see what bad writing looks like <laughs> and you can see what good writing looks like. And mm-hmm. imitation is the best form of flattery. So as long as you're not plagiarizing, you can you can uh, take some of what you're learning from authors that you love and put it into your writing. But there's this whole genre of of books that are just about 
the craft of writing. Mm-hmm. And those would be an excellent place to go in your early days of writing. What are some of your favorites, James? Uh, well, one, probably one that I enjoyed was on Writing Well by William Zinzer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll, we'll put links to all these in the show notes. It's It's a bit more technical in some ways. Like it's not just saying, oh, this is kind of writing. It actually gets into some of the technicalities behind what is good writing, what's not, and explains why this writing is good and why this is bad. So that's that's really nice to have that more specific feedback. Then there is another book that I read earlier this year called Good Prose by uh, Tracy Kidder and Richard Todd, and it's a writer and his editor that are kind of writing this book together. Oh, so, so that's a kind of a neat perspective. Nice, yeah. And when they started out, this the writer was writing, and the editor was not very impressed <laughs> with his writing. <laughs> okay. Um, and this is this doesn't give you as many specific directions. It it's more just talks about the writing process, editing process, but it's a lot of fun um, to read. And one of one of the people that I follow on Goodreads recently read this book, and it's somebody who knows what a good book is, and they gave it five stars, I believe. So it's not just from me. There's other people that really enjoy it. Yeah. And then there's another book, and I haven't read it in a while, but it's called Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. Have you read that, Sean? Yeah, I have, but it's been a little while. But I love Anne Lamott's. Mm-hmm. Anne Lamont, mm-hmm. if I can say her name. I love her writing. Yeah, and uh, Bird by Bird, it's um, kind of giving the background of that. From what I understand, it was was it Anne's brother was supposed to write some paper for, maybe she was supposed to write something. I can't remember who, who it was. Like I said, it's been a while since I've read it. But they were supposed to write something, and they were just, it was supposed to write about a bunch of these different types of birds, write a report on these birds. And like, where do you even start? And I'm not sure who it was that told this person that was writing said, just go bird by bird. Yeah. (laughs) So just just kind of start and just, you know, finish the first one, go to the next one. Don't overthink it. Uh, So there's some, yeah, talks a little bit about the writing process there as well, but it's not as technical as as on writing well. Then the other one, this is a classic, is uh, The Elements of Style by Strunk and White. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is also a bit more technical, so it's not something you're going to really sit down and read through. Uh, it's more almost a reference or something you can kind of dip into and read a little bit and then maybe see how you can put those things into practice in your writing and then another month later dip back into it again and, and read some more. So those are some uh, some suggestions for books on writing that I really enjoyed. Sean, I don't know if you have any that I didn't mention. Just about the elements of style, I would say that um, it's a, a rather short book, so it is it wouldn't take a long time to read through, but it it is full of of good tips. So highly recommend. I I would say every writer should read the elements of style by Strunk and White. Mm-hmm. Something that I enjoyed in my earlier days of writing, or something I found useful, maybe was. I don't know if you would say reading through, but at least referencing style guides. Um, I enjoyed the Chicago style manual and style guides similar to that. The Chicago style manual I enjoyed because it had excerpts in it of good writing, which I enjoyed, but other style guides would be, would be similar. And then one of my favorite books 
is the Greg Reference Manual, which is it is a style guide of its in it in its own right. But the Greg Reference Manual is so enjoyable to read. I think <laughs> there there are examples there for you know where to put a comma, for example, mm-hmm. are the sentences are just so interesting the ones that they choose so you have a lot of exposure to good writing yeah i think that sean you might be alone in in enjoying reading the Greg <laughs> reference manual because i have used it at work and i reference it when i need to but i uh it's not something that i enjoy just reading through i'm convinced that there are dozens of us in the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then this is not a book this is not a book on writing or his books aren't particularly on writing but David Crystal is a linguist, and he has a fair number of books on language, uh, how the English language has changed over time. While it's not exactly about writing, it is about language, and it is about communication. And so I think you can take ideas from that and apply it to writing. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, David Crystal's writing is just good writing. And so... That's another place where I would send someone to easily tell them this is something that you can you can model your writing off of. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed reading through. I've got two different books of E.B. White uh, essays. So E.B. White, he was actually one of the editors of Strunk and White. I think he edited this uh, the elements of style that um, I think maybe his teacher, and I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Strunk, that he, he wrote the elements of style and then White edited it, um, so that's where Strunk and White comes from, mm-hmm. and E.B. White wrote famous books like Charlotte's Web, and there's some others that he's written as well, And but he wrote a lot of essays for different periodicals, and I've, I've enjoyed reading his very much, and he does a really good job of taking sometimes complex ideas or big, big things that you would think would take thousands of words and crunching them down to just a couple hundred words sometimes. Yeah. These really short, concise, well done. It's not like he's leaving out a bunch of stuff. He's he manages to put everything in a really short essay. So I highly recommend reading E. B. White essays. And I haven't read as many by this other writer, Jesse Stewart. So Jesse Stewart was a teacher in Kentucky. I think he started teaching when he was seventeen, sixteen or seventeen, and he also became a writer. And he wrote an, um, a number of books. And also um, poetry and short stories. I really enjoy reading his short stories. They're very down to earth. They're very uh, uh, focused on nature and and kind of his surroundings. So if you enjoy that sort of thing, I would I would recommend Jesse Stewart as well. Okay, that's a new one for me. But what we read is really important and will affect what we write. If we if we don't read, then I think we're going to. It would feel like me to be an impossibility to write. I don't know how that would even happen. Mm-hmm. So read first and and read well. Sometimes going back to old books or or old literature is a good discipline for our minds and also just expands our thoughts. So don't don't read only modern things or the the newest, freshest thing off the shelf. But uh, discipline yourself to to broaden your horizons and go back mm-hmm. uh, to to something that might be a bit even difficult to read because of its language. I think that can still be helpful. Mm-hmm. 
maybe in this section before we move from here, I, I want to put out a request to our listeners. If you have s- some books that would be helpful, useful for writing, uh, both James and I are always looking for <laughs> for more good books and anything that could help improve our writing craft. I'm sure we would love to get our hands on. So please send us an email with some of your ideas. Uh, James, you said a little bit earlier something to the effect of you don't consider yourself to be a writer. <laughs> and I know exactly what you mean. I write things. I enjoy writing. Am I a writer? I think people would find it difficult to find any of my writing. I've been writing since I was a teenager, but you're not going to find it uh, published. It's not well known. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my more fun writing just went directly into the trash. I guess you could find my blog, but mm-hmm. what we're talking about here today is not so much about can you get on the New York Times bestseller list. I don't think that's what the, what we feel the world needs or what or what we need or what we're looking for. Writing for money is is good and fine and I think if people can make a career out of writing more power to them but I think more what our what I need and then what our communities need are people who are willing just to think and then share those thoughts with the rest of the community and so that may not be a very uh, lucrative proposition but I think in the grand scheme of things maybe looking at it from an eternal perspective, mm-hmm. it is extremely valuable. Yeah, I think so too. We all have our different perspectives and life experiences, and those those things can all kind of come together and give us a, a perspective that is that is different and useful to others of us. And one of the great things about writing is you don't have to experience being in a certain place or doing a certain thing to then experience it yourself. You can experience it through some someone else and, and perhaps it's something you wouldn't want to experience. You know, I enjoy reading books about uh, soldiers that have experienced war and it's not uh, it's not a pleasant thing, but it helps me kind of understand kind of what's going on in their minds and um, so forth. Yeah, so you can share share your perspective and you know, it, it might help someone else or reveal something that they had never thought of before. So I think we all have something to contribute and writing is one of the best ways to to share that with other people because otherwise only the people that know you personally and can talk to you personally will be able to to actually get a little bit of that. But if you write, much you know many more people can can read what you've written and and learn from that or also it could be that unless it's written down, it's never really going to be something that you can transmit just with a quick conversation or a comment or two. It's going to take a bit more time to to think through it and then share that with others. And with writing my book, like I said, I don't really feel like I'm a writer, but I did write a book. And so that might seem a little bit strange to say I'm, I don't feel like a writer, but I'm but I've written a book. <laughs> um, you know, the 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 reason I wrote that book is was not to to sell a bunch of copies. I wrote it because I wanted to share my experience with a few friends and family. And the project expanded a bit more from that. And now I've sold a number of more copies and I've sold to people I don't even know. But 
the purpose was to share my experience so people could have the experience of riding, you know, down the spine of the Rockies, but they wouldn't actually have to, to do it themselves, put themselves in that, that, uh, that situation. Yep. It's something I am definitely not going to do, but I, (laughs) (laughs) I certainly enjoyed reading your book. 